Today we're kicking off a, a new series, um, and it's on prayer. I would be uh, not a very good leader. I'd be remiss if I didn't begin today with us praying as a church, that God would lead us over these next weeks together as we walk through what God's word has to say about what happens when his people pray. So would you join me as we pray together and give him these moments? God, I thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you for what you are doing in our lives. God, we thank you for entering this world and connecting with your people. We thank you for the redemption of our sins that you offer through your son. Now as we begin this journey over these weeks together, I pray for your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us as a church. Admittedly, God, we we often get this wrong. We don't often understand, or maybe we forget, or maybe we're too scared, or maybe we're too shy, or maybe we just, maybe we just haven't experienced enough of you personally that we see the results. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us over these next few weeks together. Teach us how to pray. Teach us what it looks like. And today, may your Holy Spirit lead us into wisdom and understanding of your word and what you want from us, what you want for us. Guide us today. May I step out of the way and may you do the work that you want to do today. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've journeyed with us these past few weeks, you know that last week we ended a series called No Strings Attached. And it was a series that I think is pivotal in the life of our church. It was defining for our church. If you weren't a part of it or if you missed a few weeks, I want to encourage you to go back, go to our website, click on media, and, and you can watch or listen. You can go to iTunes and listen, however you want to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you were here the last week, just last Sunday, you know that um, I explained, actually I think I explained it a few weeks ago, that I, I kind of pulled the plug on a series, a message series, that um, I, I was planning on doing um, because God had a different plan. And to be quite honest with you, he was working on me in my own personal life uh, about this issue of prayer. And that after 40 years of being a Christ follower, and after, I guess, nearly 20 years of being in the ministry, maybe I... And maybe we don't quite get it. And so he led me to a place where it's something I don't do quite often, my mainly because my staff gets mad at me if I do this, pull the plug on a series quickly in advance or, or right, right before we, we kick it off. Um, but I just felt like God was telling us we, we need to learn or relearn prayer. 
and that maybe we just don't quite understand it. And so today begins this journey, and I, I'm, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for me. I'm asking God to reveal himself to us because we need something from him, don't we, each one of us? Collectively as a church, as this church, we need something. As the church, capital C, church around this country and around the world, we need something from God. We, we need him to intervene. We need him to help. We, we need him to provide. But we need his presence. And, and so we start today, we begin this journey. And I, I think that there are a lot of things that shape our experience in prayer. I think perhaps the, the home we grew up in, the, the, the mom and dad that we maybe had, maybe shapes that a little bit. Maybe our friends shape it. Maybe leaders, teachers, coaches. We may have people in our lives that shape our view of, of really of God. And because they shape our view of God, they shape our view of how we talk to him, shapes our view of prayer. But I think that the church in general, may shape our view of prayer more than anything else. I, and I personally, I grew up kind of a spiritual mutt. We were all over the place. We were always in church on Sundays, but we moved so much that we never settled down anywhere until I was in about eighth grade. And then we settled down and God changed my life um, at a church that I was a part of in Lilburn, Georgia. Um, God did an amazing thing. And I think that our, like our church experience, how we learn to pray and how we learn to worship growing up has so much to say about our view of God and our view of prayer. J Justin, just a few weeks ago, as we were preparing to move in to the community center, he was meeting with some of his leaders back here and backstage. There's our, our student pastor, our, um, Justin, next generation pastor. Um, and he was meeting with some of the leaders and he, he made a statement and I'm not gonna get it exactly right, but it was a profound statement, yes, a youth pastor made a profound statement, which I'm joking. That's really, he, he's a great guy, and he makes profound statements all the time. But this was really, this was really good. He, he said, you know, we're getting ready to move in, and, and you know, God, he, he hadn't been here until the last two years, but he's done amazing things to prepare us in this facility here. And, and he said, you know, in the history of God and man and God's people, there's always been this place where God has told the people to go to meet together for worship, and he's right. And in the Old Testament, that looked like a tabernacle when God's people, the Jewish people, were in transition and in transit and homeless, I guess you could say. Uh, and then as they established, as David established everything there in Jerusalem, it became a temple. And, and then Solomon built that first temple, and then it was destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and expanded and Today, there's a temple there that is essentially King Herod's temple. And, and I just, I put myself in the, in the, in the shoes of the, the, the Jewish people, the, the Hebrew people that grew up with this temple that God had given very specific instructions to in Exodus and then repeated again in, in the other four books, or at least three of the four books of those first five books of the Bible, very, very detailed instructions about worship and about the place and about the building and how it was supposed to be built. And it is remarkable how much detailed, significant, spiritual and physical, in many cases, goes into and went into that temple. 
that place where God's people would gather to worship. And throughout the course of human history, that's changed over and over and over again. I mean, think about it. This was a, this was a warehouse for a local telephone company, um, you know, just like 10 years ago, right? As one of my pastor friends said as he drove by, he, he looked at the building and he called me up and he goes, man, that is an ugly building. I hope it looks better on the inside. And I'm like, dude, really? Seriously? <laughs> He's not in ministry anymore. But anyway, um, Sorry, that was mean. I'm sorry. Anyway, God calls us to a, a place. He calls us to come together to worship. And so much of that, I believe, shapes what we think about God. A lot of you, like me, grew up going to a place that was brick and mortar, and it was high-pitched ceilings, and it was you know, ornate and expensive you know, things that that were adorning it. It was big pillars that were ominous as you drove up. Any of you like worship in a place like that, maybe growing up, or that's your experience? We're in good company, right? Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all, man. I, I mean, I'd love to, you know, have some of the things that look like that here. That's awesome. But you know, God's people in, in Kenya with no hungry children, with the Smiths, um, they meet and they're, they're, in, they're in a room that's built um, with, with concrete and and they're meeting in these structures that sometimes have roofs. <laughs> and sometimes the nicer ones have roofs and walls with like window areas, but no windows. That's the air conditioning is the windows, the open windows, right? How would you like that here? It would be a short service, I promise you. <laughs> God's people in, in some places meet hidden in homes where no one knows about them because if they knew about it, they'd be arrested. And so the, this idea of where we meet, I think it is, it's so incredibly interesting. And in the Old Testament, there, there was this temple and there was this place that the people of God would gather and, and the Jewish people would come there and they would meet. And I think we have even maybe even have a, a diagram of what the temple, what Herod's temple um, looked like. And there was a place where these different courtyards where people could meet and certain people could go and certain people couldn't. And you see this side of this, this diagram up here to my right. This was the actual temple. And in the holy place, only priests could go in the holy place. And they would go in there on a daily basis and, and they would worship and they would, they would talk to God on behalf of God's people, they would appeal to God, they would talk to God. And, and then inside that building, that little structure there, it looks like a sideways T, I guess, is, is one structure, and that, that's the actual temple itself. And it, there was the holy place, and then beyond that was the most holy place. And the most holy place was where the presence of God was. It was that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat of God. His presence existed there. That was not just from Indiana Jones. That was not made up, okay? There actually was an Ark, and that's where God's presence literally was. And it was so reverent. It was so incredibly holy that there was one person, listen to this, in all of the whole nation of Israel, there was one person on one day of the year who could enter the most holy place. 
And to enter, he had to go through several things that, you know, would, would cleanse him from sin and his household from sin. And there, was all, there were all of these things that he had to do. And, and, and in fact, there was this curtain or veil that separated that holy place from the most holy place. Some of you have maybe heard that in church. They talk about the veil, or you might sing about the veil, or you might hear about the veil, and you might have thought, what was it, a wedding veil? Like, is that what it was? It's, you know, what, what kind of veil was this? I don't know about you, but like, I needed a little further description on this when, when I first learned about it. It was a curtain. In fact, we're going to read the ESV, which describes it as a curtain. It was a curtain that was constructed according to God, God's word, and, and it, was, it was made of purple and woven material that probably would have taken a very long time to, to construct. It was 30 feet wide. 60 feet long, and the thickness of that curtain was somewhere between one and four inches thick. It wasn't like these curtains right over here. And it took 300 priests to hang from the top of the temple. That's what separated the place where the priests could go and the area where God lived. It's where he was accessible, but he was only accessible on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, for one person, the high priest. And in fact, they were so concerned that in going in there, meeting with God, they were so concerned for him that they would tie a rope around his ankle and they would have him ring a bell. He, as he would walk around, they would hear bells ringing. If they didn't hear the bell ringing anymore, you know what happened, right? You know what happened? And it was such a no-no to cross that veil, to cross that curtain, that they would pull him out if he had died in there. See, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, understood that God was good. They understood that there was this, um, that, they, that God had delivered them and had led them. They understood because at dinner, at their, in their homes, at the table, they would tell the stories of God. But a regular Jewish person in that day and age couldn't actually go in and access God. I heard one pastor say that God had chosen to be around Israel, but personally not accessible to the people of Israel. And all of this was to set the stage for the coming Messiah, for Jesus, God's son, to come into the world, to die on the cross, and to three days later take our sins away. And that curtain, that curtain, that day, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that it was split in two from the top to the bottom, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, one to four inches thick. It's a little bit more than just a normal curtain. Are you with me on that? And it was split in two from the top to the bottom. book of Matthew says in Matthew 27, 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And church, what happened that day with Jesus dying on the cross was a miracle that allows all of us to have, if we accept him as our savior, to have eternity with God one day because he took our sins on the cross. But what happened with that curtain? was nothing short of a miracle as well. Because that day, the physical separation 
between them and God, and the figurative separation between us and God was torn down with Christ on the cross. I think there was a, there's a picture of what it might have looked like. Look how huge that is. It could not have been anything that man did. It couldn't have been anything that a group of people in, in the Jewish community kind of like snuck in and like tore the temple down. It happened at the same time that the skies went dark in the middle of the day and the earth shook from a massive earthquake. This was nothing short of a miracle. And this something as simple as a curtain Something as simple as, as what was described as a veil between us and God has so much meaning for us. See, before that curtain came down, there was separation between God and man, personally. We couldn't get to personally know God. We couldn't get to personally be close to God. We couldn't get to personally talk to God. We had to go through someone else to do that. And so the significance of that curtain being torn from top to bottom, only a miracle could have made that happen. The significance is, is that that curtain represented our sins, and now our sins are gone, and so we can have eternity with God in heaven because of what Christ did on the cross. But church, I want you to hear this. I know in my life, and I would imagine in most of our lives, we don't fully understand the significance of the curtain as it relates to our personal relationship with God, the creator of all things. We don't quite get that all of a sudden, in a moment with the death of Jesus, that curtain came down, it was split into two, and all of a sudden, in a moment, everything that was described in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, everything about us accessing God of going to a more holy person or a more righteous person, all of that in a moment was brought to completion because now we can go to God at any time. And that is powerful for us. That is so incredibly meaningful to us. You see, we once couldn't go in and talk to God. We couldn't communicate with him. We had to go through someone else. And even our church experiences may have taught us to kind of do that, that Sunday is the day that you pray, that your pastor or priest is the person who prays with you, that maybe you go to a more spiritual or more righteous person to kind of like appeal to God for you. And I want you to hear today, church, that there's nothing that could be further from the truth, that we have full access to the power of God, not because of anything that we did, but because of what Christ did on the cross. I love the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews is, is written to the, to the uh, New Testament believers, the, the people in, in now the New Testament after Jesus. Um, and who do you think it was written to? A group of people who were formerly um, Jewish, right? They, they were Hebrews, thus the name, right? It's pretty easy actually to understand. So, so the, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by God, inspired by his Holy Spirit, wrote this, and this is from Hebrews chapter 10, and then we'll take a look at Hebrews chapter four in a moment. You see, Jesus changed everything, church. Jesus changed everything. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, therefore, brothers, 
sense we have. What's that next word? Confidence. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain. There's that word. That is through his flesh. Now his flesh being, being broken for us now became the curtain through which we enter. And since we have a, what does that say? Great priest over the house of God. Because of what Jesus did, and we'll talk about who that great priest is in a moment, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, then in verse 22, he goes into great detail. He says, because of that, let us, what? Draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, Hebrews is often a very complex book. If you don't realize that it was written to help those who were Jewish, who had become followers of Jesus, who had put their faith in Jesus to understand what all the old stuff meant and how it now applies. But church, there's a lot of connections for us today. A ton of connections for us today. There is so much significance surrounding the fact that that curtain was torn in two and that we can now go to God at any time, anywhere, in any position in our lives. We can go to him directly. We can go to him directly. Look at some of the phrases that are used in verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, draw near. That phrase literally means to come close to God. I want you to think for a moment about the people who would have been reading this back then. Think for a moment. For some of you who may have come from a little more um, like traditional backgrounds in church where there was you know, a little, little more pomp and circumstance in the actual ceremony than what we do today, which some of you are like, yeah, they're pretty much all of us, okay? So because like, you know, we, we all probably, if you went to church in the past, um, that you probably had a more formal um, church that you went to. But think about the readers then. This would have been so groundbreaking. It would have been totally different because people didn't draw near to God. In fact, people stepped away from God. That's left for someone else. That's left for someone else, not me. But he says, let us draw near. Let us come close. And then he says, let us come with a true heart. Listen, um, uh, that, what that means is, is you can come in your real self. You can be real with God. Here's the deal with God. The psalmist says that he knows our thoughts from afar, that he knows our inward parts. He knows everything about us. We can't hide anything from God. We can't hide anything from God. He knows everything about us. He knows your worry. He knows the things that you don't like about yourself. He knows your insecurities. He knows where you lack confidence. He knows the sins that you committed yesterday and even this morning. He knows all of that. And when we try to hide from God, it's kind of funny if you think about it because he's all-knowing. He's sovereign. He knows everything. He, he understands all things. 
And what that verse tells me is, is that we can come with a true heart. We don't have to put our church face on. Right? We don't have to, like, you know, we don't have to do all of the stuff that we think that we have to do to kind of clean ourselves up, which leads me to the next phrase. And he says right there, um, with full assurance, that means confidence. The, the fourth phrase is, is, with hearts sprinkled clean and bodies washed. That means that the sin, the separation of sin that once existed no longer exists. So we don't have to clean up our act before we come to God. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. Because let me tell you, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And if you think that a pastor or a priest or some religious leader is more righteous than you, you've got it wrong. These hands are as unclean as any of you in here. We're all the same. We're all the same. Jesus was the only perfect man. And we don't have to clean ourselves up because God knows what's the significance of full access to God. We're able to personally know God. We're able to personally know God and be known by God. He desires for us to come close to him. He desires for us to come inside. We're able to personally know God, but we're also able to be close to God. No longer do we have to fear who God is and what he might do. That curtain has been torn. The veil has been dropped. We can now enter the holiest of places, the most holy place. It was called the Holy of Holies. We can walk in there right now. We don't need a cord tied around our ankles or bells to, to like have people listen to see if we've died. We can enter in with full confidence and be close to him. We're able to personally know God. We're able to be close to God. We are able to be real with God. We're able to come as we are. And finally... I think, and most importantly, we're able to talk to God directly. We're able to talk to him directly. We don't have to wait for the day of atonement. We don't have to wait for, to see the priest or the pastor or the religious leader. We don't have to like, you know, like worry about anything settling our affairs because we have to wait. We can go to God wherever we are and talk directly to him. Hebrews 4 14 through 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Since that's true, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Verse uh, 16 says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think I skipped verse 15. Verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So church, there's no shame. There's no guilt. Guess what we get to do? We just get to go to God. We get to do it corporately. 
We get to do it personally. We can do it in group, and we can go to God. You see, before Jesus, humanity was separated from God, but now after Jesus, we have full access to God. And that is good news for those of you who are here who call yourselves Christ followers. That is great news. Cynthia, I mentioned last week, I, I took her to a concert. Um, we've, we've gone to concerts. Um, you know, we, we like to go to, to concerts. Um, I'll qualify it by saying good concerts. But anyway, um, and we've never been granted backstage access to see any of those people, right? Never had that happen. That's cool. You know, it'd be fine, whatever. But listen, we have full access to go behind the scenes with the God of creation. You do, and I do. And we have the full access to go to him who, who has the power to change things. You, you, I don't know if you notice, um, I, I almost always pray in Jesus' name, amen. That, that's not because it's like some kind of orthodoxy or it's like in the ritual, right? That's because there is, and we're, you're gonna hear more about this in weeks to come, so I don't wanna uh, give you the whole thing, but there is power in the literal name of Jesus, God's son. There's power in that name, church. Oh, and if we could learn that we have full access, and if we could learn, if I could learn that I have full access to the one who, who's already powerful enough to rise again from the dead and to put all of this into place around us, oh my goodness, what it would do, we would change. See, when we pray, we gain full access to the power of God that is already available to us. But how often do we forget? I forgot this week on Tuesday. I'm just telling you, I'm being honest with you. I forgot Tuesday. And on Tuesday, man, something happened. I let the pitch go by. I didn't get on my knees. I didn't pray about it. I was kind of a mess. I was whining and complaining. I didn't say much, but I was. Probably wasn't very nice to my family for a few hours. That happened. Sorry, kids. Sorry, Cynthia. Because in that moment, I didn't walk into the Holy of Holies and access the power of God. And through this series, we're going to learn what it means to do just that as a church individually and collectively here over these next few weeks. I, I want to encourage you to join in and to, to be with us on this journey. It's going to be awesome. I promise you this will be, the last series was church changing and church defining. For some of you, this series is going to be personally, spiritually defining, maybe like no other series before. We're, we're going to be doing a, um, a journey of sorts, both corporately and, and, and personally. And one of the things that we're doing is we're opening up our community center from noon to one every Wednesday. We started it last week. I want to encourage you to come on in um, between noon and one and come into the atrium. It's beautiful in there. It's, a, it's such a nice solitary place. You can join with someone. Um, you can pray together. You can pray individually. You know, if you're here on vacation from Ohio, you can even come. So anyway, that's the second Ohio joke today. Um, 
I want to encourage you to pray. We've given you a prayer guide. They're going to be available. So, so this is going to be our practice of praying as, as a church, this is praying corporately. We're, we're going to dive in tomorrow. We're starting um, a 40-day prayer challenge. I've been giving you a lot of ramp-up time. We're starting it tomorrow, okay? So um, join in. Um, we're going to use this book called Draw the Circle, which is based on Mark Batterson's um, The Circle Maker book, which is all about prayer. And this is an excellent book, and so is his, his book. There's like a companion book. It's a devotional. It's a 40-day devotional. Some of our groups are going to be using this as their topic over these next few weeks. Listen, if you're not in a group, your group is going to be focused a little bit more if they weren't already on prayer. Some of them already are, but um, you're going to do this in your group. You've got to join a group if you're a part of this church. You've got to join a group. You've got to find a group. Chris is in the back. I know she wants you to join a group and find a group. And you can get online or you can go talk to Chris. She'll be glad to help you. This 40-day prayer challenge begins tomorrow. It ends Friday, November 15th. Um, We're going to be releasing a a podcast later this month that will help you as you drive, bike, or walk around the island to be praying for this island. We're going to have a a worship night, um, November 3rd, 5 to 7. You'll hear more about that as we get closer. Um, Listen, we get good at the things we practice, right? Don't we, church? We get good at the things we practice, except for me in golf. That doesn't usually happen. But if we want to become good at this, if we want to become proficient at prayer, we're going to practice it. We're going to practice it. We're going to enter the holy place, the holy of holies, and we're going to join in together and do this together as a church over these next few weeks. I want to leave you with this. First John 5, 14 through 15 said, and this is the confidence, that word. I hope you've seen that word all throughout. If you're here today and you have fear about praying, you don't have to. You can be confident. If you're here today and maybe, maybe you've gone through a situation where God and church is kind of, it's like a touchy subject because you saw some stuff or you experienced some stuff and you're fearful, you can have confidence. If you're here today and you're afraid of what God might reveal about your life, he probably is going to do that. But you can have confidence that he's going to be with you through it. In, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask, what's that next word? anything. According to his will, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in, what's that next word? Whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And God's word says in Matthew 18, 20, for where there there two or three gather in my name, There I am. There I am with them, among them. Listen, church, God of creation, the God of the universe, the God of life is available and waiting. And all you have to do is walk and enter in. And my prayer over these next few weeks is that we will learn what happens when the church prays, and that this week we learn that when we pray, we gain full access to the power of God that is already available to us. He's waiting. It's time for you. It's time for me. It's time for us to walk into the room. Father God, I pray that you would be with us God, I pray that you would just prompt us, that your Holy Spirit would beckon us
that you would call out to us, that in those moments where we have fear, that we would be reminded that we can have confidence. In those moments when we're distracted, God, that you would help give us focus. In those moments when the urgency and the tyranny of life kind of capture us, that you would help us to get back to meeting with you. God, I'm so thankful that that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. I'm thankful that in that you demonstrated, you gave us a picture of the fact that man cannot do it, man could not do it by himself. That we needed you and oh, we need you so much. God, we need you so much. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be fully united with you one day when we're in heaven. And I want to give you who are here or who are with, if you're in the sound of my voice, maybe uh, joining online, the opportunity right now to make the greatest decision that you, you'll ever make in your life if you haven't already. And that's the decision to become a follower of Jesus, to, to put your trust in him for eternity. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The Bible tells us that God sent his son to this world to become man, to experience the things that we experience. That's why he can sympathize with us to have the same temptations yet without sin. That's why he sent him as a man and that he died on the cross and three days later he rose again from the dead and that in doing that, he took our sins away. And if we would just put our faith in him, if we choose to believe in him, when we die, we can have eternity forever. And so today, for some of you, today is not maybe yet about talking to God, but it is, it's maybe a little bit more about your first conversation with God. And that is, is asking him to be your savior. So right now, I'm going to pray just a short prayer, and I want to give some of you who have never done this before the opportunity <laughs> to have life eternal when you die. There's nothing magical about these words. What's important is the intent of your heart. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again three days later. And today I confess that my sin keeps me from you. And today I receive you. I believe in you to be my personal Savior. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I'm not going to embarrass you with every head bowed and every eye closed. I am going to ask you if you'd raise your hand with boldness so I can pray for you. Would you raise your hand boldly? Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Keep those hands up for just a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those who raised their hand in this place. God, I thank you for those who today stepped into eternity. This is their birthday, their spiritual birthday, the birthday for eternity. And I pray that you would ground them to your word, that you would allow them to get involved in a church and a community of believers that's going to encourage them in their growth. And God, I pray that they would learn what it means to talk to you and enter in to that room, the Holy of Holies, so you can put your hands down. For the rest of us, maybe today was 
a reminder of sorts to keep doing what we're doing, to keep on talking to you throughout the day, to meet with you often, to come together corporately with other believers and pray and worship and sing. Maybe it's a reminder. For others, maybe today is a renewal. Maybe it's been a minute since we spent time with you. In fact, maybe it's been more than a minute. Maybe it's been a day or 10, or maybe it's been a hundred weeks, months, maybe even years. God, understanding that there's no guilt, would you lead us back to a place? Would you renew our hearts back to a place where we are serious about meeting with you on a regular basis and may we access the power that you have the power over death and over sin and for some who are here today maybe it's not a reminder or a renewal but maybe this is a radical change in the way that they see you God I pray that you would give them all the confidence in the world to often meet with you personally And God, we can't wait to see what you do as a result. Change us. We are so grateful for the fact that we can come to you at any moment. We can come to that altar and we can talk to you at any moment. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that confidence. May we walk in it today. In Jesus' name I prayed. And all God's people said, amen.